I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, hey, welcome to Page Break. I'm your host, Brian McClellan, coming to you as the heat wave finally breaks in the mountains of Utah. Quick reminder that I will be at Salt Lake Fanex this coming weekend, September 22nd through the 24th, hanging out at Bard's Tower. Another reminder is that the Page Break Patreon now has extra bonus chat for each of our guests moving forward, so be sure to head over and support the show. My guests this week are Howard and Sandra Taylor. Howard is best known as the writer and artist of the massively popular schlock mercenary webcomic, as well as one of the founding hosts of the Writing Excuses podcast. His wife Sandra has been his long-running partner, acting as editor, business manager, and jack-of-all-trades for schlock mercenary and other projects, as well as her own writing and presenting. The three of us chat about the genesis and development of their business and creative partnership, and how that has gelled over the years with their marriage. We also talk mutual problem-solving, learning self-care and structure, as well as the future of Schlock Mercenary and Taylor's other creative endeavors. Enjoy my conversation with Howard and Sandra Taylor. Oh man, so I haven't seen you guys in person for quite a long time, have I? No. I. You know what? The pandemic has redefined my definition of in person yeah if i'm having if i'm having a zoom call with somebody and i see their face and they see my face and it's live that counts i don't need to be able to smell other people or touch them <laughs> or lick them gently across one cheek yes there you go <laughs> as we did before the pandemic of course yes that that is how i greeted all my friends in the pre-pandemic (laughs) (laughs) no it's been a while i think it was a while even before everything shut down yeah but i'm not so sure i'm not the best at being social even with people i only live 15 minutes from (laughs) yeah i i say yeah because not i'm agreeing with you because yes that is also my experience like (laughs) my sister lives literally in the same town as me and we will go six months or a year without seeing each other just because like we forget to. Yeah. (laughs) I have three siblings and their families within a 20 minute drive and nope, I haven't seen them. (laughs) My, my aunt lives up in Salt Lake about 45 minutes from here and I see her maybe twice a year at best. Yeah. And I always feel so bad about it. (laughs) Well, I've heard, you know, I, I hear people talking about how like, they can't go a week without talking with their, their sister or brother or mom or whatever. And, and I realized you bond with people quite differently than I do. Like I, for me and my entire extended family, it is entirely normal to not talk to each other and then just pick right up 
where we were and it's all fine. There's no loss of connection for not having talked. But uh, I think that other people, there is a loss somehow. I don't know. Yeah. (laughs) There's this, there's this personality type and I'm hypothesizing at this point, which accepts that we did not talk for a long time simply because we didn't talk for a long time, not because I don't like you. And then there's the personality type where silence equals death or anger or whatever. And And, and there's a social anxiety component there, uh, you know, because my brain will lie to me and tell me that my friends don't like me, uh, obviously. And so uh, sometimes there are people who need the reassurance of regular contact to fight their own brain. Um, And I will grant that there's absolutely a difference when you are seeing somebody once a week or visiting with them once. You get a whole, you get updates on the minutia of their lives in a way that you don't when you have once every six months, then you just get kind of the overview of this is what's happened in the last six months. So you don't hear about the frustrating thing that happened to them at the grocery store this week. You hear about uh, the larger scale things rather than the small things. And so it's it's a different type of connection. There's also a structure that gets built yeah. um, in a relationship where regular contact, whether online or in person, but regular contact, each dialogue adds to the structure of the relationship. And at the end of the year, the relationship has changed, has grown. You've built something wonderful you know, the licking can now be done from longer distances, whatever. (laughs) And so, yeah, uh, those of us who forget to touch base aren't building as many of those things as perhaps we should be. Well, one of the things that was interesting to me uh, about the pandemic, you know, this, this whole shift from we don't see each other in person, we have to find other ways to stay connected. And and all of the conversations around the close down and the isolation and then the opening back up, which was anxious for people in a different way. Like suddenly now I have to go places and see people. Oh no, um, Howard. Uh, but um, <laughs> yeah, there was some realizations I made early in my, or right around 30, where I realized how friendships are structured and that um, there are friendships that are based in common interest and in decisions to be friends. And there are friendships that are based purely on proximity. You are friends with this person because you're in the same grade and you're going through the same kinds of life experiences. And so when you leave high school uh, and you no longer go to the same classes every day and you're no longer, you're in different life stages, suddenly you have nothing to talk about. This is why friendships evaporate sometimes when one person gets married and the other person doesn't because you're suddenly in very different life stages and you don't actually have anything to talk about. And it's just because the friendship was proximity based. Brian, do you watch uh, resident alien? No, I haven't. I, I I've only seen the commercials and it looks quite amusing. Yes, it is one. It's delightful. Alan Tudyk pretending to be an alien, pretending to be a human, pretending to be a doctor is that is a lot of layers of Alan Tudyk. And I am all in for that. <laughs> there was a very recent episode where a a husband and wife have been struggling. And at one point they say, you know, do you remember when we were in high school and we could just talk on the phone for hours about nothing? And, you know, what happened to that? And my first thought was, hey, kids, the world is never going to run out of nothing. If you could do that, then 
you can still do that. And what was delightful is that, you know, they they arrived at a solution where they began talking again. And I, I, as I recall, Sandra's reaction was, why does this make me cry? <laughs> yeah. Why do I love these people? Yeah. And that's that's the kudo I will totally give to that show is that it really makes you me care about all of the characters in it in a deep way so that like I know the inevitable plot hole or crash is coming where they're going to like break. They're building a beautiful thing that's about to get broken and I can see it's about to get broken and I don't want it to be broken. And yet, so it's a little bit of an emotional ride for me. I, I love it. But it's punctuated by delightful moments like exactly. Alan Tudyk sitting in the cafe complaining to himself. There's a lot of uh, in-head narration on camera complaining to himself, you know, why do humans need other humans around to eat. All I need is an empty room and a spoon and a pie. Like, <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. I am here. I am here for a spoon and a pie and an empty room. Well, and, and it is funny because I think a lot of times people just don't think about how an, another human being can have different expectations for a friendship or for just a meal. And and so, you know, and that's where like, you know, little, little spats come from, little confusions, little, you know, people getting frustrated at each other or even just straight up angry because there's all these like misunderstandings about the way you see the world versus the way someone else sees the world. Relationship headcanon mismatch. <laughs> yeah, right? yep. yeah, I know. I've, I've seen uh, a lot of uh, discourse about this on the Internet, you know, uh, the talk about uh east coast people are nice but not kind or or they're kind but not nice mm -hmm. whereas other places you know uh or the expectations around like in the south uh the way you be polite is to stop and ask someone about their mom and their grandmother and their you know and, and, and their aunt and how are they doing and you are like the polite thing to do is to stand there and talk for 20 minutes Whereas up on the East Coast, the polite thing to do is to answer quickly and get out of the way and not waste their time. Yeah. And if you put these two people in the same conversation, they're both going to walk away feeling like the other person is terribly, terribly rude. Right. So so I actually wanted to ask you guys about your friendship, funny enough. Okay. You know, because we... I've been friends with you guys, you know, in, in real life for you know quite a while now. And, uh, and I've gotten to have lunch with you guys. I've gotten to hang out. Very delightful. Always love it. Something that's always kind of, I, I won't say baffled. Baffled is a strong word. Impressed is probably a better word. Is the way that you guys are able to function as a partnership, not just in a marriage and raising kids and all that stuff, but you guys run your business together uh, creatively. In, in addition to the business side, how do you, I mean, there's, there's a lot of different threads there to go down, but kind of how do you manage that balance of all those different things going on? In one word, and it's going to sound trite, uh, communication, but unpacking that, you know, the, the thing that Sandra just said about, you know, East coast versus West coast, the, uh, the relationship headcanon mismatch, all of that the communication has to be happening at multiple levels and well, and it has to be recursive like uh it has to be recursive there has to be disambiguation and it's you know anytime we come into conflict uh and we do frequently uh we then 
come back around when things are a little bit calmer and say, okay, so uh, back in the kitchen when we were talking about pie, we had a thing go on, let's unpack. And then I, and we've become very self-aware, uh, both of us. And sh I, I can say, okay, I'm sorry. I was not actually reacting to pie. I was reacting to a thing that happened at the grocery store so that I, like the store is out of pies. This is the last one. And so if you waste any of it, we have no more pie. And so I'm very intense about the wasting of pie at this moment. Uh, so you're saying I need to cut it in slices and not just go at it with a spoon. Yes, that's, <laughs> that is what I'm saying. And this is why I was intense about it. And, uh, and then Howard will understand not just the situation with the pie, but also understand things about what amps me up and what's my, makes my anxiety, what pokes my anxiety. And we start, you know, this recursive process of coming back and and talking because there's this urge, especially when we're young, the conflict is behind us. Let's let it go and move on. But if you don't take the time to pause and say, OK, we're a little bit calmer now and we need to talk about why did that conflict even happen? Where did it come from? Where were you coming from? Where was where am I coming from? And if the the revisiting creates a new conflict, that tells you something, too. Um, like, for example, maybe an hour is not enough time for us to feel calm enough to talk about this. Um, you know, maybe we need a couple of days. Maybe we need to take it separately to a therapist or a friend to help us unpack what's going on in our individual heads. And then we can have a new perspective to bring back to the conflict. And through this process, it's all grown. Like, you know, you, you are seeing, uh, I can't, you said we've been friends for years, which is true. Um, but Howard and I had been working at working together for at least 10 years before we met you. Yeah. And so we already had something of a fully formed process that we had grown. We met, Brian, we met at uh, uh, Confusion in like 2011 or 2012, somewhere in there. It, it was after my first book. So it would have been 2014. Okay. 2014. Okay. At that point. Sandra and I had been married for 20 years. Yeah. I, 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 would, I did notice that I was seven when you guys got married. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 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 There's, there, there is a lot of that, but there's also, and this is not a statement on society or sanctity of marriage or whatever, but there are lots of, there are lots of attitudes early in a marriage that can be adopted. And the one we adopted was, this is a thing that we want to make work and we want to keep it, it it's permanent. We don't think anything will get better if we go out and find different partners. That was never, that was never considered. And, and so, yeah, I mean, the first 10 years, the first 10 years were awesome and rough and wonderful and painful and the second 10 years were awesome and a little less rough uh but there was still pain and there was lots of learning and we're closing out the third 10 years now and it's been awesome and rough and there's been pain but at every stage at every stage the deepening of our commitment to this marriage to one another, this business partnership with each other, this project partnership with the house and the kids and the cats 
and whatever else uh, <laughs> that has that has only deepened as time has gone on. Yeah, we, we've always had a project based relationship, to be fair. <laughs> like it's always been projects together. Our first anniversary was spent forgetting that it was our anniversary because we were painting the house. Yeah. So like we, we missed saying happy anniversary. Um, because we're too busy painting the house. I, I read recently um, a beautiful quote uh, by Heidi Preba that I'm going to summarize, but it is, you know, to love somebody long-term is to uh, attend a thousand funerals of the people that they used to be. And and so there is there is that aspect of, of staying partnered for so long is the fact that uh, we are constantly becoming and we have to constantly keep choosing. I will say that adding the business aspect, because, you know, we got married, but the business aspect didn't get added till almost 10 years later, um, when I really started picking up and uh, filling in some of the gaps. And that was literally how it began, is there would be a gap, and I would throw myself bodily across it, <laughs> trying to like, oh, our, our interior designer just quit, well, our, our, you know, our layout design person quit on us. So I guess I learned that. Yeah. And, and so it was me over and over again, finally like throwing myself across gaps, which came as a natural behavior for me. Um, the less natural behavior was learning how to get the gaps crossed without sacrificing my entire well-being to covering the gaps. Um, that was a harder learning curve. But one of the things that super helps is recognizing that these roles are like hats. I am, there's the mom hat and the chauffeur hat and the housekeeper hat and the business manager hat and the art director hat. And so I can at one time as an art director be really frustrated because I need my artist who is Howard to draw this picture for me. And he's just not, he's missing his deadline and I really need him to hit his marks. And, but as Howard's wife, which is another hat that I wear, I know that he's really stressed and he's missed those deadlines for reasons. And I was there because he had to take the kid to the emergency room. And so I don't want him stressed. And so I will actually have, you know, and so I can both at the same time want to push at him and want to make things easier on him. And by labeling those hats and saying it to myself in those ways, I then learn how to balance and juggle my own roles. Whereas sometimes I think if you don't do the, the, the mental segregation of jobs, you can end up just in this huge emotional tangle where just being around the other person is very frustrating and you have no words for it. So that's, that is a thing. If you want to embark on the mix of life partner and business partner, hats are your friend. <laughs> I honestly, that's really interesting. Cause I've never, you know, as a fellow person that works from home and is just around my spouse all the time, I've never really thought about the hats thing. It's all a confused jumble of emotions running over each other and deadlines and responsibilities and all that stuff. It's crazy. That's the ass hat. <laughs> no, we don't let you wear that one very much. That's, and I wear that one all the time. No, I try and hide that one from you. Um, <laughs> I found it again. It's <laughs> but no, I mean, Brian, you have a podcasting hat and you have a promotional hat and you have a writer hat and you have a husband hat and you have a dog carer hat and a gardener hat, you know, and all of these things are 
are slices of your life and none of them define all of you. Do you have an actual beekeeping hat? I do. <laughs> See, there you go. I don't have bees anymore, but I have that still. <laughs> but uh, yeah, just thinking about it, I am going to go be this role for a while and then switching it sometimes helps. It is similar to a principle that was taught me in, oh geez, 1992 uh, in one of my audio engineering classes where we were talking about the business of audio engineering. And one of the guys who owns, who owned, he's since passed away, uh, owned a, an outside recording studio said it's very easy for the private entrepreneur, for creative professionals, especially creative professionals who have huge business expense budgets for equipment. It's very easy for them to get in trouble on their taxes and on their whatever, because keeping track of the money is hard. And so he said, you just start with the basics. You have two pockets. One pocket is for you and one pocket is for the business. And if you need to buy a Coke for yourself while you are doing a business thing, then the money moves from the business pocket into the personal pocket and you write a note and then the money comes out of the personal pocket and gets, gets spent on, spent on snacks. And the point there is that, um, in 1992, I was already mentally figuring out how to segregate uh, business from personal so that by the time I was a web cartoonist, I was segregating writing and art and technology, uh, you know, site design and whatever else. I'm so glad I'm not doing that on my own anymore. Um, and business in addition to family. And, you know, for the first four years of Schlock Mercenary, there was also... Uh, I was also working at Novell. There was my product manager hat, um, which, you know, I kept and we took home and stomped on it and repainted it. And now that's the ass hat. And it's like the cursed hat. In, uh, uh, do you watch what we do in the shadows? Yes. Okay. Yeah. It's like that hat. <laughs> Nadja keeps hiding it from Laszlo and Laszlo keeps putting it on again. Yeah. Hey, Page Break listeners, Brian here, rudely interrupting myself for a bit of a plug. Making a podcast isn't free, and I'm hoping that you enjoy it enough to pitch in a pittance. To do so, head on over to patreon.com pagebreak, where you can toss as little as $3 a month into the tip jar, $5 a month to get the podcast ad-free and early, and $10 a month to hear your name in the credits and feel a smug sense of superiority. You can also buy my books from your favorite retailer or direct from my website. Thanks to everyone who contributes. Now back to me. You and I had that conversation pretty early in my career. Um, and and I, I definitely struggled with the, um, oh my gosh, I've got to keep track of every receipt of, oh, this was a thing that was business. This was a thing that's personal. And I, I mean, I finally got to the point where I just said, screw this, two bank accounts, two sets of credit cards. Yep. I will, yes. I will never use cash for anything again, specifically because it's so much easier to keep track of. Yeah. Well, and that was the conclusion that was Jim Anglesey's uh, conclusion in that class. He was like, if the pocket thing sounds complicated to you, every time you move the money across, you have to write a note. Um, that's because it's the wrong way to actually do it. 
use multiple bank accounts. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and yeah. Yes. It, it makes my life just so much easier to keep track of things. And I assume you have an accountant who handles things. Yeah. Annually. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Right. And it just, right. It just takes that stress off of my shoulders. And, but then you guys also have kind of the added thing of, because Michelle doesn't work for me. Michelle doesn't do anything that I'm paying her for, that she needs a business credit card and stuff. You guys kind of have that added complication of having to actually talk about, oh, this was a thing that was a business expense. And was that kind of, was that hard to kind of get your heads around early on? I don't even know how it works anymore. Yeah, yeah. Uh, We transitioned from Howard doing most of the money management to me doing most of the money management. Oh, we were still in the brown house. So uh, within the first five years. It would have been been like 96. Yeah. Um, I started taking over just, which is, again, you know, usefulness of hats and roles. We just handed that hat to me. Um, And we've gotten to a point where... For the most part, Howard only has very, very high level views on what's going on in the financial stuff. We have some, you know, set marks that if we hit, then I need to have a finances meeting and say, by the way, we've hit this scary mark, time for another crowdfunding. Um, but, uh, but one of the things that is one of my jobs is keeping things from distracting how, like Howard needs creative space. And so one of the jobs that I have is not complicating that creative space with a bunch of extra detail, you know, so I can give him a massive financial report once a week, but that's not a good use of his brain. And so we've chosen to just trust that I am on top of it or he's chosen to trust. I know I'm on top of it. Right. I'm, I'm good, but uh, he's chosen to trust me on this. <laughs> and there are other things uh, like uh, when we had the Schlock website up and running, I didn't touch website, anything. I just trusted Howard to have that up and running. Um, and the only time I ever paid any attention to it at all is if someone tweeted at me that was down. And then I walked into Howard and poked him and said, by the way, the, the website didn't update, go fix. And, and then he would go fix. And, and so, um, but the, sorry, I'm not sure if we've actually answered your question. We said a bunch of things. Well, let me, let me circle, let me circle <laughs> in real quick because um, to the, to the listener, I, the listener is not benefiting from the video feed here. Uh, while Sandra's talking, I'm, mostly nodding and shrugging and and yupping in in the in the background um but to the listener it may sound like you know oh my howard you're you're such a prima donna you know you only you only want to focus on the art you don't want to be troubled with the the mundane frivolities of the real oh shut up shut it i i am very much troubled with the mundane things the principle of the, the principle of opportunity cost. The idea that let me give you an example: the sketch editions that I'm supposed to be doing, but I'm not because my hand hurts. We charge an extra twenty bucks for a sketch edition, and and so that's great, especially when you know you sell a thousand of them, and wow, that's a that's a that's twenty thousand dollars that Howard can generate just by sitting down and drawing, but. Every one of those pictures, I only get paid for once. And I know this. I would much rather be doing things that I get paid for, that we get paid for multiple times. And so, you know, if, if 
if there is a budget crunch, it is not Howard, hurry up and, you know, open up commissions, draw more things. I know that that won't work. Drawing more will not solve the problem. What solves the problem is drawing or, you know, writing and illustrating something that something that a thousand people want to buy. And so, and I'm, I'm aware of that. So if we have budget crunch conversations, um, I immediately know that what we're looking at is, oh, do we need to design a t-shirt? Do we need to do another book Kickstarter? Do we need to, uh, you know, what, what do we need to throw in? There are parts of my creative process that I will immediately redirect to, you know, I, I don't need to be the dancing monkey. I need to be the machine that turns the crank on the organ and let people just imagine the monkey dancing. The monkey danced once. Here's a movie of the dancing monkey. I, the metaphor has gone kind of sideways and I may have lost the thread. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, I mean, going back to the, um, you know, the roles and things, you know, the art director in me wants to keep focus. And uh, another aspect of what goes on in our lives is uh, the mental health stuff that we also are juggling. Um, and, you know, Howard uh, has ADHD. And so there are things and ways that we have to, to try and work with that, that benefit of his brain, because it's had definitely given us some real benefits, but there are also accommodations that we need to make for managing that. And so there are days where I can throw 10 complex things at once at him. And then there are days where he can handle one complex thing. That's it. Um, and so, again, one of the evaluations that we make as a couple is on the days, what, how much, how much do we hand off in a day and what do we let rest? Yeah. Um, is it so. a chop wood, carry water day? It's a chop wood, carry water day. Only don't give me any water because I hate buckets today. Yes. Well, I hope we laid out some wood for you to chop. <laughs> and that's, uh, and that was a huge part of the that that whole metaphor, a huge part of the production of Schlock Mercenary for 20 years with no missed daily updates. The understanding that some days I am super creative and I can write, you know, two weeks of comics and some days I'm not. I can barely find it in myself to ink on those days. I really need to have spent some time previously writing and then penciling things so that I can sit down and just chop wood, carry water, just ink some comics and muscle through it. L learning to work ahead is one of those creative things that like, I feel like they never talk to you about in creative writing classes and things like that. But it's so important because, I mean, the, the creative field is already kind of... I, I don't want this to sound like at all dismissive at all, but like it's kind of riddled with people that have mental health issues um, from, you know, of varying severities, you know, like I've got plenty of anxiety. I have plenty of depression. Neither of those things are clinical, but those are things I deal with. And, and so like getting a grasp on your own ability to work and, and how, and, and knowing that there will be times where you're just like, screw this. I'm playing video games for a week um, because that's literally all you can do to function. But, you know, if you have something, if you've got a backlog of things that you can put out, especially in your situation where you're talking about, like you said, updating the website every day without fail, like that's a lot more necessary um, footwork to do ahead of time. You know, and it requires, um, 
this this is the core of self care. People think of when I when you hear this word self care, people think of you know oh go to a spa or take a day off or video games for a day. Well, self care actually is a self parenting. It is sometimes it is no you really do need to go to the grocery store today because look at your schedule for the next rest of the week and this really is the only window and if you don't do it today on Monday. Friday you is going to be really, really angry that there's no milk. And so it is, it is that, that looking ahead and planning for tomorrow's self and the day after self so that you've laid some track for yourself to, to move forward on and learning how to lay that track for yourself. Sometimes, I mean, that's a creative work all by itself. You know, I, I have, I have whole presentations on this about, structuring your life to support your own creativity and and learning the process of learning how to live and how to build your life so that you have the space to be creative that is in itself a creative process which of course is going to interfere with whatever it is that you wanted to write you know if you're moving house that's going to interfere with writing if you are you know if there's upheaval in a relationship that you have to then reconfigure if for example, you're having a massive pandemic and have to reconfigure absolutely everything about how you live. That is going to interfere with anything you want to create because it is a creative process. Grieving is a creative process. Um, so all of these things, as you learn how to do them, and this is one of the things that I'm really enjoying about getting older, is that now when things come up, I'm like, ah, oh, yes. I did something similar to that two, 20 years ago. So I will just remember how I handled that particular emotional experience before. And it becomes much easier to uh, process. That. I'm glad you're enjoying that because there is nothing about getting older that I'm enjoying. <laughs> <laughs> the, I mean, and even, even that, even the, uh, oh, I have, you know, such a vast depth of experience points I've seen all of these things before. That does not come across as, you know, oh, I've leveled up enough to make these things easy. That's why does this crap keep happening? <laughs> yeah, I didn't, I didn't want to earn that experience point in the first place. <laughs> I did all the grinding for this quest in 2002. Why? Why am I here again? Why do, why do you need more ox pelts? <laughs> That's super interesting to me because, yeah, no, as I'm, I'm approaching 50, I'll be, I'll be 50 in January. And one of the things that I'm really liking is uh, that I've gotten to the point where I'm no longer feeling like I have to make sure that everybody feels okay with every decision I make. I can just make decisions and people cannot be okay with it. And I don't know if that's a... Uh, me thing or a socialized as a woman thing or anything like that. But uh, as I'm getting older, I, I have fewer fucks to give on, on all of that. And so I'm like, just, I like that part. The, the things the doctor tells us about how to take care of our bodies, that part's getting old. Yeah. So. Now, I had actually really wanted to ask you something, Sandra, because, because so in your kind of business relationship, um, Howard does the art and you seem to handle most of kind of the back end stuff. You do a lot of editing, you do the production, you handle a lot of the, those fiddly bits so that Howard can do the art. And, but I also know that you have done your own creative stuff. And I was wondering how you kind of balance your creative impulse versus what needs to be done 
to make the household continue earning money. I'm going to say hats before Sandra says hats. I wasn't going to say hats. No, I was going to say it's not actually balance. It's more like a dynamic equilibrium, you know, um, or a juggling act where uh, some of the balls are glass and some of them are spiky and some of them are rubber. And it's a matter of knowing which ones are going to hurt when you catch them. So maybe dodge those and which... (laughs) Ones can bounce off the floor and you can catch it. And which ones you can fish out of the out from under the couch a week later. And which ones you really, really absolutely can't let hit the floor. This is the problem with any life that has a lot of moving parts in it. And one of the things that has hugely helped me, because uh, I used to get very frustrated that uh, my creative projects kept getting sidelined by me. Not by, like, Howard's happy to make space for them, but I kept deprioritizing them. Um, in part because uh, it is harder to prioritize things that make less money. But uh, one of the things that's really helped is recognizing that organizational work is creative work. Relationship building is creative work. It is all work. And so when I recognize that and value that, and when I stop and really think about my priorities, you know, in my life, I chose that parenting comes before writing. I would rather fail at writing than fail at parenting. And so anytime I sideline or push aside writing because parenting, something for parenting is in crisis, it's a ball that's fragile and I can't drop it. I have made the correct decision in line with my own priorities. And, and that doesn't mean I don't grieve the creative things. I mean, I've got a middle grade novel that's I, I'm working on year six or seven drafting a single middle grade novel, um, which is, at the point that it starts feeling embarrassing to say those numbers. And then I remind myself that those are not embarrassing numbers. I've been very busy and it's fine. But that's recognizing that all of the work that I do, even the admin work is important, Uh, not just in keeping the roof over our head, but in support of all the other creative work helps me a lot. But yeah, no, I, I constantly, it's like, okay, so now how do I make sure that I get the writing time in? Because I, ha- I have not been able to or been willing to. Willing to is actually the better way to say it. I have not been willing to restructure and reprioritize my life so that writing takes up a big chunk in the middle. Yeah, that, that's, that's interesting. That's, I mean, I guess it always has to come down to priorities, right? Like, mm-hmm. and, and your own kind of personal... Because like they're always shifting, right? Priorities are always... I mean, like some of the big ones, obviously like kids, obviously are going to go at the top of the pile. But priorities are always going to be shifting. Yeah, but it's different. I mean, like, my youngest is now 19. The The kid priorities are, are way different, and they are way lower on the scale than they used to be. Because honestly, <laughs> right now, my biggest parenting job is get out of their way, you know, rather than, than be in charge of them. And Yeah, we went to, uh, we went to Gen Con. Yeah. Oh, yes. Road trip <laughs> to Gen Con and left our youngest three age 19, 21, and 20, 24, 24, um, left them home alone. Oh no, what's going to happen? I think we'd been in the hotel for three hours when uh, Sandra gets a text message, or it's actually, in, it was in our family discord, um, where our youngest said, so good news, I've defrosted the big freezer in the garage. <laughs> Bad news I didn't do it on purpose. And now some things are soggy. (laughs) (laughs) 
And then we had to talk him through, okay, you can save this, you can save that. Nope, that that ham is dead, just throw it out, you know, and, and talk him through. And he had a life experience, but uh, yeah. yeah, so it's it's different when they're old they're adults, but that was yeah. I, I was I was curious, Howard, how you balance the art that you do because you you literally physically do art. You know, I call writing art. It's an art. It is an art, but it's not the art art. The physical art that you do for a living versus the art that you do for fun. Because I know that you love to paint miniatures. Um, you've got hobbies that are very similar to what you do for a living. How do you kind of balance that? Because I have I have very much struggled with storytelling as a thing I enjoy versus a thing I do professionally. Um, well, I haven't painted miniatures for quite a while. The, the physicality of painting is the same as the physicality of drawing, just in terms of, you know, holding the the pen, the stylus, the brush, the whatever. and physically drawing has gotten a lot more demanding. Um, the long COVID, uh, chronic fatigue that I'm now saddled with has cut into the amount of time that I can spend making art. I am really glad I was able to successfully slap a satisfactory ending on schlock mercenary two years ago, because I could not have kept doing a daily comic. In the intervening two years, uh, I've spent a lot of time really low productivity. And so, you know, how do I balance? It's like one of those uh, one of those resource allocation video games where suddenly your resources are cut in half and you're like, oh, well, all right. I guess the settlement just doesn't get doesn't get entertainment anymore. They can entertain themselves standing on the wall and fighting off the raiders. Maybe they will make a game out of it. <laughs> the uh, hobbies, uh, hobbies is the wrong word. Diversions. Pastimes. Discretionary time. What's the word? It begins with a D and it's in that space and I just can't even think of it now. Things that are entertaining um, that may or may not involve me making something. I know I need those. Mm -hmm. I, I, need to, I need to relax and enjoy myself sometimes. Balancing work versus play ultimately is a problem that everybody who both works and plays <laughs> has to deal with. When you work for a large employer who has, you know, structured your life with an eight hour day in the middle of it, uh, you balance work and play by shoving all of the play out of the workspace, except for maybe some of the play that you can get away with while you are at work. Um, but then sometimes your employer demands work from you after hours. And it's, this is a thing that we all, this is a thing that we all juggle to some extent or another. And really the solution lies in Sandra used the term, uh, used the term self-aware, uh, much earlier in this, uh, in this episode of page break. Um, it's not being self-conscious. It's being self-introspective, being awakened to all of the things that are demanding your time, your energy, all of the things that are rewarding to you, all of the things that that you feel you need to put back out into the universe in order to 
pay it back for letting you continue to breathe its air. Um, being awake to these things is how you balance work and play without becoming a robot who, you know, staggers to work every day, staggers home, watches TV, goes to bed without consciously deciding any of those things. Yeah, I would say right now, a lot of your play literally goes into uh, playing games. Yeah. You know, Fallout 4, where you you explore creativity with building amazing big structures. You've done the same thing in ESO. You've done the same thing in ARC. You really dive into these games that have a world-building aspect, a creative aspect that let you build a house and decorate a house and collect some things. And, and that is a beautiful refilling the well creative outlet. And I think that that is a thing that creatives need to recognize is that you need creative things that you do that are purely for enjoyment versus the creative things that you do as a product. And, and trying, in Howard's case, we had to find things that didn't use the same hand and arm that he uses to make money in the same way. So that the, the, the hobby was not physically impacting the creative stuff. And it, it's, tricky to do but we've we've found a balance that's currently working check with us in six months it'll be a different balance yeah there's a whole thing <laughs> there's, there's a whole thing i mean transitioning from the daily comic to something else uh i've been writing cozy comedy sci-fi murder mysteries in the schlock mercenary universe i need to do the i need to go through the copy edits of the first ones so that so that we can start turning it into money Unfortunately, copy edits is a process that involves using the mouse back and forth between multiple windows because I, I'm a sci-fi writer. There is a ton of stet in <laughs> yeah, all the way through. Nope, that I'm making up that word. Don't don't mess with that word. That I have sorry, got to stet that. So I can't just accept changes. And Gen Con, I drew for 32 hours at that show and injured my hand and it has taken two weeks to heal to the point that I was comfortable actually drawing something. I've got a bunch of sketch editions I still need to do and I drew something and then as I sat down and got ready to do page break, put my hand on the mouse and realized, oh, that still hurts. I How am I going to do copy edits without the mouse? Well, I suppose I could mouse left-handed but yeah. Yep. <laughs> Sorry. Annoying, but true. Yeah. <laughs> Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. 
Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. When, when I was a teenager, I, uh, I w- started realizing that I had issues with my wrists if I didn't have my wrists at a very particular like kind of level as compared to my body. And, uh, but I loved video games so much. And one of the weird, dumb solutions I had was that my dad is left-handed. So if I borrowed his laptop to play, uh, to play uh, um, uh, Age of Empires 2 for eight hours, I would just borrow the mouse that he had for it and use his left-handed mouse for it. And I just, I would learn, I forced myself to learn to play left-handed because it was easier than just hurting my right hand continuously. Yep. I've been fortunate in that uh, about four years ago, we did a nerve conduction study to see if, uh, see if I had carpal tunnel. And the answer is no, I don't have carpal tunnel. The things I'm having, the, the pain I'm having in my hand is just interstitial tissue in the hand, aching and being overworked and whatever. Had my hand x-rayed and I also don't have arthritis. It's just, I work too dang hard and I'm 54 and I now have a weird, you know, chronic fatigue metabolic condition, which, and this is team science has yes, has yet to carry this one across any of the goal lines or even really move the ball. Um, there's this, uh, idea that low O2 uptake in skeletal muscles is what causes seek chronic fatigue, uh, whether it's long COVID or whatever. We've had, you know, chronic fatigue has been a thing that's around forever and it's real and it's not in your head. And if your doctor tells you it is in your head, find another doctor. And there's something called PEMS, which is post-exertion, something begins with an M, something begins with an S that says exercising and pushing a little bit every day doesn't actually make it better because the low O2 uptake means you end up in anaerobic metabolism and the muscles are eating themselves. I could be completely wrong, but I think that what happened at Gen Con is I injured my hand the way I've injured my hand dozens of times in the past, but now I have a condition that says it's going to take a lot longer to heal. And like I said, team science hasn't yet reported back. I went to see the hand doctor and he said, maybe we should do a nerve study. And I was too tired to say, we did a nerve study four years ago that said nothing was wrong with my nerves. Please stop operating out of the playbook and please start operating like a doctor who wants to practice medicine, (laughs) who wants to explore. You know how a hand is built. Push on it, play with it, figure it out. Sorry, that's a whole rant. Yeah, there, there's a larger rant s- surrounding the slice. He's oh, my. <laughs> right. I, I imagine. So so you talked about finishing off Schlock Mercenary uh, two years ago. So like that, like two decades of, of a day job. Where where are you guys going from here on out? You mentioned you've been writing stories. W- what else is there kind of on the docket? Fear. Yeah, a lot of that. Um, uncertainty. <laughs> um, anxiety. 
Um, there's the- underwear gnomes and then profit. Yeah. Right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, it is moving forward. It's, it's all experiments. You know, we, we have a, a fairly solid plan for the next six to 12 months, um, which involves uh, there's going to be a crowdfunding for, we have four more schlock books that we still need to get into print. Um, we need to get that done. That gives us a window of financial time to figure out, okay, and what else? So Howard's doing these Shafter Shifters novellas, which are the, the cozy sci-fi mystery that he's talked about. Um, I'm putting together a Structuring Life to Support Creativity workbook, which takes, I have a presentation that I've given a bajillion times. In a, and, and so I'm just grabbing the principles from that and putting it together into a workbook to see, hey, maybe that's uh, something that is worth money to other people to buy. I would like to get the middle grade novel, you know, out and maybe agented and do try my like stab at com- commercial publishing, um, which I understand is a very, very long and complicated reach. Um, but it is honestly, in many ways, it's really just going forward with the freelancing mentality of you have more than one income stream. The, the massive pipe that was Schlock Mercenary was actually subdivided into Patreon and website ads and various other things. And as we're watching, some of these streams are definitely drying up. What are the things we can do to strengthen the Patreon stream? What are the things we can do to create a new stream somewhere else? Can we build a stream of income from Twitch? Can we build a stream of income from these Schlock Mercenary novellas? Can we build a stream of income out of the admin skills that I have, you know, uh, by me taking on other freelance jobs? And so um, it used to be we had, and it always, always made us terribly nervous that so much of it was, was just the one giant pipe. And so, yes, we are in an uncertain place in many ways right now, but theoretically, by diversifying the income streams, it creates additional stability. This is the, the I like got my fingers crossed literally here on camera, hoping this works for us. Um, but we do know, we absolutely do know, is that uh, ending Schlock Mercenary on the story we did at the time we did was the right call. It was the right call for the story. It was the right call for the, the fans who do miss it. And But having a, a solid this is the end is better for everyone. And it ended up being absolutely the right time for us personally, physically, emotionally, for a lot of reasons. So that was the right call. It's just put us back into... About 15 years ago, uh, Phil Folio, I was in a private, uh, you know, little forum for web cartoonists and uh, someone was um, bemoaning this exact thing. They were like, I'm ending the strip because it's, it's ending. It, it's hit the end. And what do I do now? What's what's going to happen? And Phil Folio, his words, and I'm going to paraphrase badly, were, look, you made a comic that people wanted to read. And so now you know you can do it. Do it again. You have a big advantage because now other people know you can do it and they're going to be there for you when you do it again. So just make the next thing and pour your heart into it. Now for us, I'm not going to make another web comic because I don't have, I don't have the hand for it. I don't have the the physicality for it, but 
I know that I know how to tell stories that people want to read. And I now know a lot more people than I did in 2006 when Schlock Mercenary actually started paying the bills for the first time. Well, and there's, there is a benefit that um, when you, when you are, transitioning between things creatively when you have already been a creative professional for a long time yeah. these uh, as, especially in in the type of things we do at least the the income doesn't dry up in yeah. a way that oh i quit my job i'm getting my last paycheck in 2 weeks it's not like a snap your fingers and it's gone it's it's a slower dry up you know like i i've been done with powder mage for two and a half years now and powder mage is still paying most of my bills um, which is amazing, but those kind of things that you have invested in earlier creatively, yep. they kind of, they give you a little bit of lead time to get into the next thing, which is really nice. Yeah. We're depending heavily on that fact. Yes. <laughs> well, and that's the, the shafters shifters novellas. If those find a new audience, which I desperately want them, want for them to do, if those find a new audience, there may be a resurgence in demand for schlock mercenary books, you know, years down the road. I won't complain about that. And that's how, that's how the business brain works. What are the ways in which the thing that I do that the thing that I do next can help drive more sales of the thing that I've already done without me needing to draw a thousand $20 pictures in the back of the book in order to, make the mortgage payments this year. Yeah. Well, and um, again, it's back to that, that freelancing idea of, of different streams and different things. Uh, one of the things that we learned early on from Howard's involvement in writing excuses was that we started getting people whose path to schlock mercenary was Brandon Sanderson's books to writing excuses to schlock mercenary and then I discovered they would, there were a very small few that would come and find my blog and they're mine now, you know, um, you know, th there's this subset of people who uh, resonate with, with the things that I create and they, they followed this path. And so um, those other works continue existing. We still, we get people who found Schlock Mercenary because of the XDM book that we did. And, and that one's the project we just finished up. Um, uh, well, those are the ones he's sketching right now. <laughs> like we're not finished, finished yet. We still got some some deliverables here, but the book itself is done, um, and we're incredibly proud of it. But it goes out into the world, and it will bring people who then like Howard's art in it, and then find Schlock, and then buy a pile of books, and it it all interconnects. And and so the work we've done in the past continues to be lures for the work that we're about to do and vice versa. Well, and things like that one page break episode that we did. Yeah. No, I remember that. Where, you know, millions of Schlock Mercenary fans suddenly discover Brian McClellan for the first time. Yes. And go buy uh, the Powder Mage books. You know, go buy the whole back catalog of Powder Mage books. Right. Well, and I, I've told you this before, Howard, that um, we, we already referenced the when we met. Um, my uh, first book had not come out that much earlier than when we met. And we, you and I were just sitting and talking. And you said, oh, your book's on sale right now. I'll just grab it and I'll read it on the plane. And then like three weeks later, you you posted it on the front page of Schlock Mercenary for like two weeks. And I think that 
we dis- decided between the two of us that yeah. I had sold something like 1500 copies through Schlock Mercenary. And I mean, that was the very beginning of my career, like that kind of thing, getting 1500 people suddenly reading my books when I'm a baby author, like that snowballs to the point where Brian's making a good living and he's working on his eighth epic fantasy novel. So what I'm hearing is Howard's fault. That's <laughs> <laughs> a, a very small portion of it, a very tiny slice of the earliest portion of it might be my fault. I do remember uh, it was either your editor or your agent pulled me aside at a later convention and condensing the conversation to do away with all of the niceties and all of the uh, aroundings with which we beat the bush. They wanted to know, were there other authors that I could do this for? (laughs) And what I had to say was, I don't, signal boost for a living signal boosting isn't my career this was a happy accident i won't say no to the opportunity to participate in more happy accidents but please don't look at me as a book sales factory because that's not i mean i want to be that but i want to sell my books (laughs) right well and that's that is a uh, that is a weird place especially with influencers and the internet and all that stuff that is a very weird place we are as a society in creative livings right like because everybody signal boosting everybody else it kind of needs to happen but it also creates this crazy static noise of everything being sold all the time yes but then you know roll roll the clock back 30 years or or more look at the uh society as uh, as it existed during uh, during Mad Men, you know the show about the ad agency. You have ad agency people who interact with magazine publishers and with television studio execs, and and the studio execs and the publishers interact with the creatives, and it really is the same sort of ecosystem where creatives are building a thing, but the thing itself is not actually worth enough money to keep the creatives alive. But the thing will attract people to it, and those people have money, and so now now the vultures... I, I shouldn't say that about the people who literally pay my bills. They, you know, the advertisers come in and, and want a piece of that. <laughs> this is the same... This is the same ecosystem... It's just, it's the difference between, you know, old growth Pacific Northwest and, and the Amazon rainforest, you know, different plants, but it's the same mechanism. And us creatives, we are either leaves or worms. I'm not sure which, but we are not actually, we are not actually the alpha carnivores prowling through the forest, you know, doing interesting things. That metaphor went wonky somewhere <laughs> it did not go wonky it went exactly where i was planning on it going okay <laughs> <laughs> right right well so i um i'd like to finish up every recording of this podcast by asking my guests the same question but i have never had two guests on at the same time before especially and two married guests okay. i'm very curious if you're going to have the same or different answers so the question is, what's the last thing that you guys ate 
that blew your minds? Um, the really for for an entire you know wow this is amazing experience. I I have to go back to Lavecchia in Reno really like that's that's the one that jumps to the top of my mind. We were at uh, the Reno WorldCon in like 2011. 2011 2010 i think i don't know anyway no 2010 i think was australia uh, anyway but way back Google. um it we went walking down the street with some friends of ours from from the hotel and we were walking outside because uh reno is a casino town and so all the interiors are just blinking lights at you and, and terrible um but uh, walking down the street and we walked past this little restaurant and our friend poked his nose in there and then like turned back to us wide eyes and says, they've baked bread today. We're eating here. And, <laughs> and so like they bake their own bread, I could tell. And so uh, we walked in and it was just this little restaurant called Lavecchia and absolutely everything they put in front of us made us go wow. Right. Well, and our friend was Sicilian. So, like, when he said they are baking bread in here, like, just his nose. What what style of restaurant was it? Italian. Oh, oh I love Italian. Yeah, it, it was it was pretty amazing. That was my first. That was my first experience with real risotto. Yeah, but I mean, they did a fruit salad in a a parmesan shell, yeah. and the parmesan shell was so delicate. And how do you even? I'm not going to ask. I'm just going to eat. It was delicious. Um, my answer is completely different. Yeah. Um, I mean, that is that is one of my top. I'm gonna I'm gonna say that's one of my top five meals of all time. Yeah. Yes. Um, I've had the opportunity to have lots of really really good meals, but mind blown, mind blown opens a door into a whole new class of things. Fair. We're at Gen Con two and a half weeks ago, and I'm exhausted, and Sandra's exhausted, and our daughter and son-in-law are there and we're like just figure out figure out how to feed us i i don't even care and he googles and yelps and whatever and finds this place called cluster truck <laughs> and and i'm like i have never heard of it i mean <laughs> truck food can be awesome truck food can be terrible he says it's not actually truck food they've got a facility but they're takeout or delivery only. Um, and then he showed us the menu and this menu was like, it was kind of like the menu at uh, uh, cheesecake factory only without being a phone book. You look at it and you're like, pick a style. No, don't pick a style, just pick a food. And so we got food and it was very, very inexpensive. It was fast. It was hot. And every dish that we had, while not being necessarily the platonic ideal of that dish, it was still just a shadow on the wall of what the true version of that dish was. Every dish we had was a standout, yeah. solid delivery of that dish from a place called Cluster Truck. Yeah, and it was... <laughs> yeah, mind, mind blown. Had Thai and burgers and... You know, like, how did they even? I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. When when we were stuck in, in a little Paris hotel room earlier this summer, uh, uh, quarantining with COVID, we had to order in all of our food. 
And honestly, on the, I don't remember what it was like Grubhub or whatever the app was I was using to order the food. uh, There were a bunch of that style of restaurant where you're like, this place is serving both burgers and Vietnamese. And like, I would immediately just kind of go, oh, it's not order from there. Yeah. And yet. yet, But honestly, the best thing, the best thing about Cluster Truck was that uh, as a family, we got to prop up the newest member, the son-in-law, who absolutely takes all the credit for, I mean, yes, the restaurant existed, but I've been to Gen Con <laughs> almost a dozen times and had never heard of it. And he finds this thing and it's awesome and it's miraculous. And hey, showering my son-in-law with genuine praise and him being able to see that he has fed his exhausted in-law <laughs> parents. Yeah. It was a great moment. Cluster truck. Why? I just kind of love it. Why the name? I don't even know. <laughs> yes. Yeah. It, 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 that is fun to say, cluster truck. Yes. <laughs> well, it's like Fuddruckers without the, without the pretentiousness. <laughs> also with more than just burgers. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's perfect. <laughs> That was Howard and Sandra Taylor. You can find a link to their websites and social media down in the show notes. You can find me, as always, at brianmcclellan.com. Special thanks to James Sutter for music and Tom Bishop for production. If you'd like to support the podcast, head on over to patreon.com slash pagebreak or buy my books in ebook, paperback, or audio. You can also get signed copies of my books direct from my website or swag from my Redbubble store. Don't forget to like, subscribe, and leave a review. If you're listening to this via Patreon, please stick around for bonus chat during the epilogue. Special thanks to Elijah, Ivor Gulickson, James Clark, Jennifer Johnson, Jay Sonnell, and Kyle Anderson for their backing on Patreon. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for mother's day than whole foods market they're your destination for unbeatable savings from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts start by saving 33 with prime on all body care and candles then get a 15 stem bunch of tulips for just 9.99 each with prime round out mom's menu with festive rosé irresistible berry chantilly cake and more special treats come celebrate mother's day at whole foods market